On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Mike Rooney from D1Baseball.com. We discuss the Vandy Boys series win over Florida this past weekend, the reasoning behind leaving the Commodores out of the top 25 rankings, how Tim Corbin has gone about replacing Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter this season, a look around the SEC with Tennessee leading the pack in the SEC East, the potential for more college baseball on ESPN during the regular season, the state of college baseball as it stands right now, the Vandy boys' potential for one of the best recruiting classes in the history of the sport, and the steps Vandy could take in enhancing the viewing experience at the Hawk. Plus, in our breaking news segment, we discuss the impact of Scottie Pippen Jr. saying goodbye to Vanderbilt and his current draft stock with the NBA draft coming in June, the latest additions to the roster with Ezra Magnone and Paul Lewis, an important Vandy United update, Will gets his spring game analysis in, and a full recap of the Vandy Boys series win over Florida, plus a quick look ahead to their series in Lexington, Kentucky, this weekend. We've got the beefiest episode yet coming your way here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Let's ride. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back Relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who bleed black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome back into the door report. It is episode 159. It is April 19th, 2022. We are powered by the great folks at Alaco Finewood Floors. Will, we're back after a little bit of a week hiatus, a good Easter break. I know you were, uh, we were both insanely busy. We, we couldn't possibly fit an episode in for whatever reason. Uh, God just didn't want it, want an episode last week. He, he, it just wasn't let, he wasn't letting it happen. So, but well, we've got probably the beefiest episode for a, in a long time. Uh, you know, you take a week off, that's what happens, but we've got Vandy United updates. We've got Scotty Pippen leaving. We've got a couple pickups for Jerry Stackhouse and, and Vanderbilt basketball. We've got Vandy boys finally winning a series, getting back on track against Florida. So, Will, we got a lot. Uh, Mike Rooney is going to join us from D1Baseball.com a little bit later. Uh, we recorded an interview with him a little bit earlier. But, uh, but Will, we're back, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Everyone out there, it's Billy's fault. I tried <laughs> I tried to get with him. He didn't want to do it. He was like, Vanderbilt fans don't care enough. That's what he said to me. And I was like, <laughs> Billy, that's crazy. No, but, it, yeah, it was just Impossible. a scheduling issue. But, man, we had a scheduling issue, and there really wasn't a lot of news. And then in the last three, four days, including the spring game, I think this is about the most that we're going to have to talk about for a very, very long time until maybe, hopefully, the Vandy boys can continue the momentum that maybe they picked up against Florida this weekend and make a postseason run. 
this episode has a lot and there's a lot to get to and the spring game is definitely going to be yes. something i know that me and you both want uh to provide a lot of a uh, lot yeah. of our thoughts and opinions on yes i wasn't there i think spring games will are, are easier to talk about when you are there you know it's kind of you don't get the full feel of it when you're not there you were there in attendance so i'll kind of turn that uh, turn the attention to you turn the mic to you on that but we'll get our spring uh, spring game recap from uh, mr byram but we are back. Well, I think we could talk about all these topics for the next two weeks. Just keep talking about all these. But uh, we got plenty to talk about. A couple pickups from Jerry Stackhouse, Ezra Magnone, and Paul Lewis. So a uh, lot of reshuffling going on. We've got a new sport coming to West End, volleyball, women's volleyball. So uh, we'll, we'll touch a little bit on that. But, Will, before we get to all that, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door.report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the breaking news. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well, we, we got a lot to get to, and we're going to start with everything involving the Vanderbilt men's basketball program. There's been a ton going on, a lot of reshuffling, and I think, I, I want to say right now, the roster is finalized. Now, that you know, there could be maybe potentially another transfer, but as of right now, this roster is finalized, and Coach Stackhouse has I think Will done a, done a really good job with, with kind of making do with Scottie Pippen Jr. leaving. And, but right after, you know, this all happened in two days, you add a couple of guards, you get, you get more depth. And uh, that, that's where Vanderbilt ba basketball is right now. But Will, let's start with Scottie Pippen Jr. And, you know, this wasn't surprising news. Uh, he, of course, has decided to enter the NBA draft. I thought his quote was great, Will. The graphic he posted on Twitter, he said, to Commodore Nation, thank you for supporting me from day one. I felt the love every time I stepped foot on the court in Memorial. It's a feeling I'll never forget. At this time, I've decided to take the next step in my journey. I'm entering the NBA draft and will sign with an agent. He left no question, Will. <laughs> no question at the end of that quote. Last year, it was, you know, you kind of got the testing the waters feel, but he's gone. This year, he's gone for good. And even though this was still expected, Will, I think there is kind of a sting factor for, for Vanderbilt fans here. It's kind of that, that realization of, damn, he's gone. So I think there's a little bit of that with Vanderbilt fans, but they're now turning their attention to a couple of the pickups uh, that Jerry Stackhouse has had. But well, Scottie Pippen Jr., what a career from this guy. Uh, he led the SEC in scoring last season, back-to-back -back seasons, averaging 20 points a game, 42% from the field. He was a two-time All-SEC selection. And I think the biggest thing for him this year, Will, five 30-point games, and two of them were in huge games against Kentucky. So there's still a lot to happen with projections and where he, he may stand He's still seeing, you know, still seeing that he's a projected late second round pick. Some experts are saying he may even go undrafted. Will my gut tells him he'll he'll go late second round? I think he's going to get drafted. I could be wrong. You know, we're going to see on June 23rd. But I mean, will he? This guy, Scottie Pippen Jr., is the biggest reason why this program has reached their most wins in a season since 2015. I mean, he he you always said it. He's the straw that stirs the drink. And but he's gone now, Will. Uh, I think there was some potential maybe for him to come back, but 
he's gone and uh it's a it, it, what a career what a career for uh, for spj I really don't know how much of a decision it was for him, Billy. I mean, me and you had talked about it. It seemed like that was the way the tide was turning. But a lot of things with where he was projected and just the logic of it makes you think that this was a tougher decision and the amount of time that he took to announce this. So he gave us a little bit of hope that he would be back and he would be coming onto a team that with him in the lineup would probably be close to that top 25 range yes. to even start out the season next year. But unfortunately, that's not going to happen. Jerry Stackhouse obviously knew that this was a possibility or this was coming because he immediately had backup plans mm -hmm. in the transfer portal with the names you mentioned. And I think that we need to separate two things out because I don't think Scotty Pippen Jr. is going to get enough credit as, in quotes, an all-time great in Vanderbilt basketball as he should because he wasn't playing on good teams. Mm -hmm. So I want to get that out there because when you run through his stats per game, I mean, it, it, he's up there in the top five in pretty yeah. much every significant category. Steals per game, fifth all-time in Vanderbilt history. Points per game, fifth all-time in Vanderbilt history ahead of John Jenkins. That's, that's the level of play that he was playing at is someone at the level of John Jenkins that I think most Vanderbilt fans would think back on as one of the great players in Vanderbilt history, leading them or helping lead them to the SEC championship in 2012 over Kentucky. But Scottie Pippen Jr. is not going to be talked about like that. And that's simply going to be because he never played in the NCAA tournament and you never saw him perform or even he, not even perform. He never even had the opportunity to perform in the postseason in big moments and really through no fault of his own. A lot of it was just where the roster was. He stuck through. He played hard. He didn't transfer out. You didn't feel like that was something he was going to do. And I don't think any Vanderbilt fan has any hard feelings or bad thoughts towards Scottie Pippen no. Jr. And I think we're all wishing him a, uh, a very successful and long NBA career. But on to the NBA career, which is another thing I want to touch on. The, the games or the scrimmages they run with the prospects and the NBA draft combine, that is going to be huge for him. Mm -hmm. Because the questions about Scottie Pippen Jr. are number one, are, is consistency shooting the ball? And is he going to be able to score? Because a lot of what he did in college isn't really going to work in the NBA. And that's driving to the basket against those athletes. That's just not going to have the same rate of success. And he didn't really shoot the ball consistently. His numbers actually went down from his sophomore to his junior season. So that's going to be number one. And number two is going to be are the turnovers because of the guys that were around him and the talent level he was playing with? Or was he just turning the ball over and making bad decisions? And you'll see that when he's playing with evenly talented players around him, and that won't even be a question. So I think a lot of what you said about him being a mid to late second round pick first going undrafted is going to come from that NBA draft combine and what he's able to do there. Yeah, he's done everything he can at Vanderbilt. You know, he I don't think he could, you know, maybe he could have done a little bit more, but I don't think he could have done anything else at Vanderbilt. He 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 averaged 20 points per game the last two seasons. I mean, he was the guy. And you're exactly right, Will, with what you said about there wasn't quite enough around him. I mean, that's the bottom line here. That there was never that 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 number two guy, Jordan Wright, kind of emerged. But he, he never really had, like, Semi Chateau was that guy for Darius Garland for five games, you know, and, and I think they, they, they could have done something special. But Scottie Pippen really never had that guy. Now, I do think that would have happened if he, if he would have come back next season. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying, hey, you know, he's in the wrong here for, for, for going to the NBA draft by any means. 
but there is a little bit, I think there are a few Vanderbilt fans kind of in, in the belief of, Hey, he could have come back and been a legend. He could have come back and led all time in scoring. He could, if have he came back, that's, that's but the other at thing. The same, at the yeah. same time, at the same time, will, you know, I, 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 I disagree with that. I think, you know, he did what he could. The fact that he even came back for a year three was, you know, I didn't think he was going to come back for year three. Now I, I, you know, I think that was a lot of the talk, you know, we forget about that, that he came back for year three and that was big. Like that, that was something huge. Like Scotty Pippen's coming back. And, you know, I, I think a lot of it will is just what was around him and, and, and you hit it right. You hit the nail on the head there. Uh, but yeah, it'll be fun. Will it'll be fun to see where he lands. And, you know, if he gets drafted, I think he should get drafted, but there's a lot there. There's a lot that can still happen. Like you said, in the combine. That's the only thing real quick before we move on. Cause I know we have a bunch of other stuff we want to get to is what you hit on is the last thing I wanted to say, which is Scotty Pippen jr. If he decided to come back would have had an opportunity to literally rewrite the Vanderbilt record books. And he did every, it without literally every, season. every record he, he's yeah. It's not just scoring or assists or he would have, he would have without a doubt probably been in the top five in assists he would have probably been approaching Shane Foster's scoring mark and probably broken it with a season at the same level that he has had he would have probably led in steals in all-time just career steals I mean it's and he definitely would have been up there in uh, games played and minutes played because I know he was top five in minutes played per game in the history of Vanderbilt yeah number five so it's kind of crazy to think about what he could have potentially done in the record books if he would have come back. And I don't think he's really been talked about even close to the same level of guys in the past, but that's just because of postseason play and really because of the guys around him. So I want to just hit that over and over is we're going to look back and remember Scotty Pippen Jr.'s career, I think, a lot more fondly and appreciate it more after he's gone. And that's unfortunate. I, I think we always try to appreciate them while they're here. We try to do it with Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker. We tried to do it with Scotty Pippen Jr. But I think Vanderbilt fans are really, really going to miss seeing that and just having a guy on that roster that can just take over a game at any given moment. Yeah, for Vandy fans, that's the sad part. That, that's the sad part about it. It's going to hit hard. It's he is a huge. I mean, it's a massive hole. I mean, just a massive hole to replace. And, and we'll see how they do it. Stackhouse has actually already done it. And, uh, you know, so we'll, we'll see, but we'll, again, congrats to, uh, you know, him and, and his future in the NBA and, and, uh, you know, best of luck to Scotty Pippen Jr. What a career. And, uh, he should be remembered as a legend. He's a legend at Vanderbilt and, and, you know, but there's still kind of that, Hey, what could have been, but at the same time, it, it, it's happened, it's gone and done and, and Pippen is entering the NBA draft. So that was kind of the first piece to get to, but will we move on to the, the reshuffling and the bounce back from this and, Stackhouse was ready, you know, as soon it felt like, you know, Stackhouse, you know, obviously he started a lot of this guard depth recruiting before Pippen and him probably talked, but as they talked, you know, you kind of felt like, okay, Stackhouse got out of that meeting with Scottie Pippen and he got right on the phone with, with, with prospects and he picked up Ezra Magnon and Paul Lewis and that finalized the roster a day late the next day. So that kind of tells you about, how much Stackhouse has grown as a coach, as a recruiter, as a CEO of a program. And I think that is, that's credit to him and his staff. It really is. So, so I, I think that that's the good part of it. Of course, you won't have Pippen next year and that's a massive blow, 
But let's get to these two guys, Will. And, and I know, you know, we've both done a little bit of research on them. Brian Carlson, if you, if you want to learn a little bit more about these two guys, he wrote a great piece on the doorreport.com. So go check that out. He kind of detailed the latest roster movement. But let's start with the transfer, Will. Ezra Manion. And uh, I watched some of the highlights. That is how you pronounce that name. So Manion, that's how you pronounce it. 5'11, 170, point guard, Antioch, California native. He's a three time all Big West selection out on the West Coast, averaged 15 points a game last season. I think a negative will, he shot 20% from three-point range. So that, you know, we're going to have to see how that shakes out with kind of the shooters. They've got shooters. But, uh, you know, I think it, uh, we're going we're gonna to realize pretty quickly. They have how potential. Much they have is, potential shooters. Yes, I don't think that, that you would say that they have them yes, <laughs> fully have, at, at where we would like. Yeah, I mean, they have guys capable to what extent, you know, yes. we'll, we'll see about that. But he does have two seasons of eligibility left, and all signs – Will are pointing him to replacing Scottie Pippen Jr. Now, a lot of that still could change. Maybe Noah Shelby steps into that point guard role by the end of the season. Who knows? Stackhouse is really the only one who has that idea. But right now, it looks like this guy, Will, is going to be the next point guard. And uh, he's he's explosive. He's quick. He gets to the rim. Kind of reminds me of, a, you know, maybe a Saban Lee type of mold, you know, explosive guy, not the best shooter, but he can get to the rim. He's got a nice floater game, a nice mid-range game. So, well, I mean, this is, this is Scotty Pippen's replacement right now. I mean, I think that's where this, this guy stands here. So he's going to have a lot on his shoulders, but I think that also depends on Studi and Wright and the other guards to make a jump and, and, and kind of, you know, replace a little bit of the stat of the slack from, from Pippen. The weird part about this roster and basketball has changed quite a bit. You don't have set positions, and and that is a good thing for the most part. I think it's opened up the game and the fluidity, fluidity that's a tough word, of movement and everything, and it's expanded down from the NBA. But the weird part is on this roster, Vanderbilt really doesn't have any shooting guards, and that's you don't have any two guards. And you have Tyron Lawrence, who's he's a shooting guard. He is a two, but he's not a shooter by any stretch of the imagination. And it, maybe that can develop for him and get better, but he's never going to be the pick-and-pop type guy at that two-guard position that's going to bury threes for you. It's just not his game. He's a driver and a slasher. But who is going to step into that two-guard role? Because you're probably going to be having a guy that is really more naturally a one, a point guard that's used to having the ball in his hands, stepping over into that two-guard a lot, especially if there's any sort of injury, which knowing Vanderbilt, there will be of some kind. It will happen. And definitely just within depth of the rotation, you're just going to have guys like Noah Shelby playing that two-guard position. You're going to have guys like... Hell, I guess Trey Thomas playing a lot more two guard. He's going to have to get better defensively if that's going to be the plan because Mignon is five foot eleven and uh, Paul Lewis is six foot one, one sixty five. So they're not bringing in a lot of size. Pippen was criticized for his size and he was much larger uh, than either of these guys that are coming in. But Vanderbilt has uh, they were struggling with size and depth at the big man position at the uh, at the beginning of last season before Liam Robbins returned returned to the lineup. This next season, they're going to have kind of spoil of riches down there in the post. You're really going to have three centers on the roster. So that too big look uh, that that we saw from Jerry Stackhouse late in the season, I think that will be the main look, especially early uh, until they can get some of these younger guys some more experience. Because I'm just not sure. Does, is Lee Dort able to slide to that four? Is Jordan Wright able to slide to that two-guard spot? That's going to be a lot of stuff that I don't know how they're going to want to position those guys because I think Miles Studi is naturally a three. 
I don't know if Jordan Wright's really what they're looking for is that off-guard two-ball secondary ball handler. I think he wants to play the three. Studi wants to play the four. And then you have uh, QMB, Dort, and Robbins kind of swapping between that four and five position. So it's going to be interesting. You have a lot of questions. I think if Pippen returned, a lot of this would be a lot more set in stone, <laughs> and we would know a lot more what to expect. But this leaves a lot more for us to talk about. So yeah, that's, uh, that's, a, that's the, if thing. there is one bright side of Pippen, of, of Pippen leaving, it'll give us a lot more to talk about in the offseason. Yeah, and debate as to what we're going to see on the hardwood this fall. Let's the, t- the TDR conversation continue a little bit. But, Will, I, I agree with you in the fact that we talked a lot about how much Stackhouse shuffled the lineup this year. It could be even more next year because of just finding roles for guys, who's going to step up, where are guys going to play, especially at the guard spot from spots one to four. How are those spots going to shake out? So there's a ton. And I mean, you know, we're so far off from the season. A lot can still change. A lot can happen. But so that's Ezra Mignon. He's going to be interesting to see, you know, what kind of player he is at Vanderbilt, especially in the SEC. You know, he played at UC Davis in the Big West the past three years. Obviously a big step up playing in the SEC against arguably the best basketball in the country at this point. I mean, the SEC has as much depth as any conference. So it'll be interesting to see what his role turns into. But, well, I'm, I'm intrigued by Paul Lewis. He's a guy that, you know, a little bit taller than Mignon. I think he's listed at 6'2", 170, uh, kind of a, a little bit taller, kind of the same size as Pippen, uh, but he's a three-star point guard out of, out of the state of Virginia. He was the final commit of the 22 class. He chose Vanderbilt after, uh, after decommitting from Maryland, and he visited Vanderbilt last weekend and came away impressed. He's a top 15 player in Virginia, top 50 point guard in the country, and at Bishop O'Connell High School in Virginia, he was a first-team All-State selection. So, I think everything with this guy will kind of screams talent and potential. Uh, but again, both with both of these guys, we really don't know their roles. Uh, I mean, I, I think what, what we could speak on definitively right now is what we're going to get from Wright, what we're going to get from Studi, and what we're going to get from Robbins. And I think Quint Malore Brown is in there too. We still don't know what we're going to get from Shelby and Dort and Smith. We're going to get young athleticism and potential. But with Mannion and Lewis, th- those are, you know, a couple of wild cards. So, so we'll have to see where those guys both fit in. But, Will, in terms of the recruiting class, right now Stackhouse's recruiting class is 21st in the country, 4th in the SEC, and the roster's finalized. So the state of the program is better, Will. It it, it just is. Now, yes, they didn't make the tournament in year three of Stackhouse, but that, you know, I think they believe, this staff believes that's on the horizon. And looking at the roster, they've got a lot more depth than they've had, seven forwards and seven guards. So, they, you know, they're going to be able to do a lot of, of shuffling in that lineup. But, Will, as I look at it right now, I'm going to go ahead. I know it's super early, but kind of predict the, the, the playing time ranks a little bit. And from forward to the guards, you know, guard slash forward as well in there. I think for the, for the forwards, you got Robbins, a grad senior, Malore Brown, a grad, a grad senior. And we're going to see how it shuffles out with Lee Dort. Um, and, and Malik Dia and Colin Smith and, and, and how much t- playing time those guys get. For the guards and forwards, you got a senior, Jordan Wright, and a junior in Studi. So we'll see how much four Studi and, plays. And we'll I start. would put I would put Colin Smith in there with Studi. Yeah. If yeah. Studi's in your guards, he's definitely going to be playing yeah. a similar position to Studi or Jordan Wright more I than he to, would be yeah. with Dort. I meant to put Smith in there with the guard slash forward. So Smith, Wright, and Studi. You know, Wright could play some two. Studi could play some four. That's kind of the versatility of those guys. And then with the guards, you've got Mignon, a senior, Lawrence, a junior, Shelby, a freshman, Thomas, a junior, Dorsey, a sophomore, and Paul Lewis, a freshman, and then Carlton, Graham Carlton, a walk-on. So that's kind of what you're looking at right now, Will. And, and 
there's potential there, but there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of guys that are unproven. So I think it's going to depend on this offseason will is going to depend on development, getting better. How much better do these guys get? How much better does Jordan Wright take that leap? How much, you know, does he take that senior leap? Does Studi take another leap? And we talked about that before last season. There, there's some bigger, I think, you know, some of those leaps could have been a little bit bigger. So there's so much to see. Well, I think now there's, now there's leaps to make. That's yeah. the, that's the big thing. There's leaps that have to be made. Scotty Pippen Jr. Coming back would have allowed them to basically progress at the same level that they progressed last year, add in the recruiting class, add in transfers and boom, you're a NCAA tournament team. Now, yeah. Jordan Wright has to step into being probably the, the main scorer, the guy, or one of the guys alongside just a group. I don't know if they're going to have one definitive guy, but if they do, it's going to probably be Jordan Wright uh, with Miles Studi taking a much bigger role and shooting a lot more shots, especially inside the arc this year. That's the big thing with him. But I wanted I don't want to glaze past and just move past Paul Lewis because he's an yeah. interesting guy to look at just in the rankings because you see three-star late add to the class number 245 player in the country he's a good good addition good player but he's look at that recruiting and it's not going to get you excited in the same way that Noah Shelby Lee Dort do and Colin Smith but when you look back at his recruiting ranking history this is when things are always fascinating because i'm i love this stuff because outside of really the top 100 play like i'm talking five star stud guys that are on that four or five star verge in football or basketball man it's a lot to do with whether or not these guys just go to camps or who they commit to and what blue blood program because he committed initially to Maryland uh, back early in the recruiting cycle and then decommitted after he committed to Maryland. Prior to that, he was a four-star. He was a four-star, yeah, ranked recruit, very high four-star at that, uh, close to that top 100 player overall in the country and like then... Noah Shelby. And then he committed to Maryland. And they don't do it right after the commit. This is where people always say, look, he committed to Tennessee and he's still the same ranking. I'm like, they don't do it immediately, dude. Yeah. But in two, it's usually between one month and four months. You will see a precipitous increase or decline for literally no reason. There will be no change in the guy's play. He will put up better or just as good numbers as anyone could expect. And he will just drop off the face of the earth. And that's what happened. He probably stopped going to these recruiting camps. Scouts forgot about him, saw guys, fell in love with him, wanted to raise their recruiting ranking. Well, to raise a guy, somebody has to go lower and somebody's numbers have to drop. So Paul Lewis, I think, is a guy in this class that could be one of those sleeper guys. Mm -hmm. I think more than Malik Dia, no offense, Malik Dia. I think that this is one of the guys kind of how, and not at the same level because Neesmith was still a four-star. But when I looked at the Darius Garland, Simi Shittu, Aaron Neesmith class, I said I, I thought that Aaron Neesmith would have the biggest impact of any of those guys I never saw coming what happened with the injury but yeah. he ended up having the bigger impact I think Paul Lewis is a guy that I think will be here for an extended period if he can develop and break into the rotation and he's a four-star talent and you're getting him late in the cycle as a late addition so I think that's a much better pickup by Jerry Stackhouse than it's getting credit for and it's yeah. just because 24-7 unless I'm missing a news article that was posted or I'm watching different highlights uh, from his junior to his senior season, and I'm just – I've forgotten what basketball is like. The dude's still a stud, and he's still a four-star capable yeah. level player. So that's a big pickup for Stack and, and moving forward with creating depth consistently yeah. year in, year out. 
Maybe maybe we need to ask Robbie to to do something about that. I know he works with twenty four seven sports. We we need we need to get him on that. Robbie, you know, maybe no, a little bump. Maybe deny, a little bump deny, up deny. there. <laughs> no. Maybe a little bump up there for Paul Lewis. But uh, but yeah. So Ezra Manion and Paul Lewis have been added. And will we, we can't forget about the three transfers that left this program: uh, Jermaine Mann, Shane Dizoni, and Taryn Frank. And Jermaine Mann and Dizoni, I think Dizoni is the guy that I didn't really expect to transfer, but it's also like. Let's look at the reality of the situation. He probably was he he was going to be fighting for playing time with a lot of those younger guards. So again, can't blame the guy. I think he ended up at St. Joe's. Uh, so where he's he's joining Educa Obina over up there at St. Joe's. So I think he'll play a lot there. By the way, uh, he's he's that kind of talented guy. So so we'll see about him. Dezoni's going to put up numbers. Uh, yeah. Dezoni was the guy with the transfers. Man, I expected Dezoni was the guy that I don't think either of us saw transferring no, out. I, I think we we had expectations of him kind of taking a bigger step up, especially if Pippen left in that two guard role that we were just talking about. And uh, obviously he saw some writing on the wall there with Noah Shelby and Colin Smith and some yeah. other guys. Yeah. And it's interesting, Will. Shane Dizoni is an interesting study. Decommitted from Arizona. He's a four-star guy that Vanderbilt got. And I think, you know, people were excited about it. But again, that, that happens in college basketball. That's the world we live in right now in college basketball. You don't like the situation. You can get up and transfer just like that. The flick of the, the snap of a Just finger. like the so. coaches. Yep, just like the coaches. Just like the coaches, so they should be allowed to. I, mean, I think it, it's fine. It's it's basically a professional sport now, but that's another conversation. But uh, well, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> Too much to talk about this week. That's a midsummer conversation. Yeah. Well, this is. Uh, I think we're already going on an, going on an hour. We haven't even touched on baseball, <laughs> but let's touch. Well, before we or get football. To the, yeah, before we get to the spring game, <laughs> let's make a nice transition from basketball over to football. Because the new basketball practice facility is going to be basically connected to the football stadium. And there's a lot of really cool stuff that, that was released in the, in the YouTube video. It's about half an hour long. If you're a Vanderbilt fan and you haven't watched the video that VU Commodores posted on YouTube, you need to go watch it because there's tons of great information. Um, the, the guy from Populous, I'm forgetting his name. I think his first name's Alan. I'm forgetting his last name right now. But he did a great job of, of, of kind of uh, you know laying out everything that, that Populous is working on and, and kind of giving a, a broad perspective there. But, Will, I've got a few notes here on, on what is going on with the Vandy United update. First, the basketball facility is planned for roughly four stories, and you've got the women's uh, facility tied in there as well. It's, it's going to be uh, men's on the bottom and the women's practice four on top. So, you know, they're, they're quite landlocked. So it's going to be interesting to see how this building takes place and how they actually get it done. It's going to be interesting. 90,000 square feet. So this is a pretty good-sized facility that, that, we're, that we're talking about here. And it will be connected. The, the, the facility will be connected to Memorial Gym by a bridge. So that's going to be a cool aspect that we haven't seen at Vanderbilt. Kind of a, I don't know what, it's not going to be the pedestrian bridge like downtown, but it'll be kind of a cool walking bridge, of course, for the players and, of course, fans, uh, you know, if they're going from Memorial Gym to the football stadium. Uh, but so that's another added aspect. The Vanderbilt Stadium concourse is going to go all the way around the stadium, Will, uh, kind of a 360. So if you're on the other end zone, you can walk all the way back down to the other end zone and, you know, grab it, grab, grab some food, grab a drink and, and, and kind of stand up over there, whatever, whatever you want to do. So there's kind of a more, there's a cool feel. It's going to be a lot different than, than what we're, what we've seen at Vanderbilt stadium. And uh, so, yeah, the YouTube video is great. Will, I know you saw it, but after looking at these updates, what do you think? What are your thoughts on this? Of course, a lot of this, we don't know, you know, there's a lot still to happen, but, 
it, it's it, it thank you for vandy fans this is something cool it's something to look it's forward getting to. real that's the that's the thing it's getting real i think that's the 33 minute video with the actual details it wasn't just the released renderings and the quick video with it was the like CGI. this is what's happening it, it didn't look like a pan shot of like a 2004 madden uh, game that's what it didn't look like was was this video yeah. and you had details and the biggest thing that i took away from the entire the entire video the entire articles that i read by robbie in 24 7 is it was expect the expected completion date is by the beginning of the 2024 football season and so that was the first time i could have missed it before that i saw a definitive scheduled completion date so once they get started on it once they get started on it it's going to be relatively quick and it's going to be a huge change and that's what i'm excited about and there was one thing specifically that it seemed like that facility on top of upgrading the look of the football stadium which desperately needed to happen and adding something unique to it and getting better facilities for the basketball program that was all necessary there seems to be a focus on one thing and they tried to do it in the short term with the luxury seating they added in the end zone Mm -hmm. uh, of the horseshoe but what they are adding is something that's needed at Vanderbilt. And that is appealing to graduates and appealing to boosters and donors in a way larger way than other SEC programs and other Power 5 schools have to. Because you graduate from Tennessee. Tennessee has the good old boys. If you're from Knoxville or you're from Middle Tennessee, you can go to Knoxville. You get wealthy afterwards. You come from a wealthy family. Then you went to Tennessee and you can go back and donate. And a majority of your boosters... and well, the definition of a booster by the NCAA is you attended the university but yeah. and donated a large amount. But if you're a booster or an alumni from those, you probably grew up a fan or familiar with the sports of that team. So they, Tennessee doesn't have to build these grandiose, grandiose facilities for their donors because the donors want to be there and the boosters want to be there. They are vying to be one of those people that's allowed in. Vanderbilt doesn't have that. They have a bunch of people that grew up on the West Coast or in the Northeast or grew up outside of the footprint of the SEC and they don't have that appeal. So they have to add on additional things to draw those wealthy people in, which Vanderbilt has plenty of wealthy graduates and plenty of wealthy graduates with with money to spend and they want to be at the coolest, latest event and that's what this is going to be. And that seems to be a main focus on top of the upgrades to the facilities are upgrades to appealing to donors and graduates of Vanderbilt that may not be that interested directly in the sport, but they do want to support the university and support something that seems to be cutting edge and popular and they want to be a part of something. And that's what Vanderbilt's moving forward with. So I also want to say with the logo, I still like the star V. So this is what I want to get out before we get, before we get to it. I still like the star V, the V and people criticized our take on the star V. They, and this is what I want to say. I understand what Vanderbilt's doing. I'm not an idiot. I get they're trying to transition away from the brand recognition that the Star V has. They know that it has the brand recognition. They just don't want the brand that type of brand recognition. So they're trying to completely distance themselves and move on, start fresh, more modern, clean look, and just separate themselves from the things that have happened with previous regimes. Right. I just think they did it in an in, incorrect way. And I think they undervalued how much that meant to Vanderbilt fans as a kind of a point of pride. Cause there's not many Vanderbilt fans and there's not much to take pride in, especially in the football program ever. 
And the star V was kind of a unique thing and they just took it away. So I get what Vanderbilt's doing. I, it's not that I hate what they're trying to do. It's just, I don't think they execute it correct, executed it correctly. And now that we've seen it on the helmets in person, Billy, as we transition into the spring game here, yep. I, I got to see it in person for the first time in the spring games. And it's a good look. It's a yeah, clean look. Yeah. I like well, it. I'm still partial to the star V Billy, but I, I know you uh, have some thoughts on maybe yeah, some stuff. I, like I think, Will, I mean, the Star V is Vanderbilt. Like, the, the, that is Vanderbilt. That You look at the Star V, you think Vanderbilt. Now what you're looking at, you're looking at a V that looks a lot, little bit like Virginia, a little bit like the bottom half of Xavier, uh, a little bit of a Villanova in there. What's this V? What's this gold V that, that, you know, doesn't really distinguish them? And, again, that's another conversation that we have had and will continue to have. But I want to get to a quote, Will, before we get to the spring game from Daniel Deermeyer. And he basically said, uh, you know, kind of an overarching quote after all this was released. He said, Vanderbilt will disrupt the standard model of college athletics. And, uh, you know, that's that kind of, that that is as big brain of a quote as, as you can get. Like, uh, what what is what the hell does that mean? But I think what it means is as connected as the as the campus is and all, you know, all the stadiums, you've got Memorial Gym right there. You've got Hawkins Field right there. You've got Vanderbilt Stadium right there. I think the experience that they want, what they're going for is United. I mean, Vandy United, like you go to a football game, you're able to walk inside Memorial Gym on a bridge. And then you, they're also planning to, to make more connections from Vanderbilt Stadium to Hawkins Field. And, and you know, you, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an all-day event. You know, you, you've got the spring game. Then you've got a baseball game that night. They're already – they've already been close. They've always been close in proximity to each other. But I think what they're attacking and what Populous is doing is saying, hey – you can walk on a bridge, walk inside Memorial Gym. You can look over the stadium in a suite and watch the baseball game as well after the spring game. So there's a lot there. Well, I think I think that that's kind of a cool aspect too of they're re- reinventing new ways to travel across this uh, this landlocked. Feels like it's on, you know, six acres, but it, you know, I mean, it's it's tiny. So I think that's cool. I think that's a cool aspect. Will Vanderbilt stumbled upon. One of, if not the the coolest setup in all of college athletics, possibly. I mean, just where they are in the city that they are in currently, which is growing in one of the most popular cities in the entire country and maybe the currently fastest and hottest growing city in the country in Nashville. You're in the middle of that. And every time that people go to Vanderbilt stuff and really look around and I point it out of how close Memorial Gym and the football stadium and the baseball stadium are, that they are literally overhanging each other and parts of each are parts of the other one. Like the wall of Memorial being the mini green monster and foul balls getting hit into the football stadium. It's cool. and, when pe- and when people notice that, that's unique. That's something that you can draw into. And Vanderbilt has not improved on that really whatsoever in connecting them and making it look like you're in the middle of a city and you're not just crammed on this tiny piece of land that you're part of this modern city versus being like these other SEC schools that look at this big old stadium by the river. Oh, hell, <laughs> it seats 100,000. Like, that's awesome. Like, Vanderbilt will never have that. They can't have that. They're not going to fill it the same way. What they can do is have the coolest, most modern stadium and set up for the three major sports in the entire SEC and the entirety of, college, of of Power 5 athletics. They can have that. They have that in place, and they're actually committing to it now. And I keep getting at it that Candace Story Lee just keeps 
just keeps on trucking. She just keeps moving forward. And what she has managed to accomplish in her short time is more than, is, than has been accomplished in the entirety of the Vanderbilt Athletics Administration in the past 50 years. So I think that just getting this out there and that this is funded and ready to go and that there's an expected completion date in two years and Daniel Deermeyer actually being committed to improving the most front-facing part of this university and actually improving this potential for, for the university to grow with the city and popularize itself. It's been good to actually see non-brain-dead administrators in charge for once. And I haven't agreed with every decision. We haven't agreed with every decision that they made, but they're making decisions and they're doing things and that's that's i think the best way to say, to say it is you're not go you are going to have support even if we hate your decision and hate the thing you're doing if you're just doing things and that's the part that vanderbilt hasn't had it hasn't been that that fans haven't liked the direction that the athletics program is going there just is no direction they just not doing they're not they were not yeah. improving anything things were get, literally getting worse and deteriorating so now you're going from deteriorating and that stadium being a decrepit thing that is embarrassing to go and visit, honestly, and bring people to, to it's going to be a destination yeah. and it's going to draw in people. So I'm excited, Billy, this rendering and this video actually yeah. made it real and a completion date is actually there, Billy. Yeah, the completion date is there. It's two years away and a lot can happen in two years. I think that's the good part about this, Will. You've got so much that can happen in two years. I mean, two years is a long time and they're going to get a ton done. And Will, I think for visitors of other teams of other SEC fans, driving past Vanderbilt Stadium, you talked about it. What's the appeal? I mean, you see the Vanderbilt, you know, you see the logo. The appeal is going to be you've got, you know, the, the basketball facility overlooking the football stadium now. You've got more connection there. And I don't know if you saw, Will, big game boomer. He, he ranks a lot of the college towns, uh, you know, across the country. He put Vanderbilt, he put Nashville, Tennessee, as the, as the best college town in the state of Tennessee because it is. Nashville is, is the best city in America, and Vanderbilt is a five, ten-minute drive away from it. And, and now I think what you're seeing, Will, is Vanderbilt finally starting to embrace where they are in this city. And it's, it, 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 this should be exciting for Vanderbilt fans. I think it is. I really do think it is. And, Will, we could talk about – I think we just, we just walked into a rabbit hole that we could keep talking about all this. <laughs> we also we haven't got... done a podcast in, a, in over a week, Billy. Yeah, we had a lot so, of stuff uh, we wanted to say. Good thing we just upgraded to Zoom Pro. We've got all, all <laughs> kinds of time. But, uh, Will, we've we got football and baseball to touch on here. So we'll, we'll do it kind of quickly, but it's going to be tough. The spring game, a 32-32 to 32 tie. How about it? And uh, Vanderbilt got absolutely clowned on Twitter. I, uh, <laughs> I'll admit, Will, I laughed at it. I, I did. I, I couldn't help. Um, I don't think it, it doesn't mean, it literally means nothing. He ended it early. Clarkley intended for it to come down to kind of a game-tying decision, and, and he ended it early. The clock was running. It, it Literally, when there were timeouts and there was nothing going on, the clock was running in that fourth because he was trying to set up a tight ending and tight finish, and he ended the spring game early when they hit that two-point conversion to tie it. He intended for it to be a tie. And that's great. I actually, at the time, my, init my initial reaction was awesome. Like, this is the teams <laughs> actually played evenly and the scoring system worked. It felt like both teams played gridlock dead even. Both made good plays and both got exposed at times. But 
it was like five seconds after he blew the whistle and they got that two point conversion that I just thought, man, they're good. They're going to get cooked. Like they are <laughs> going to get absolutely throttled on Twitter and Instagram. I knew exactly the first comment and by God, if it wasn't the first comment on both Instagram and Twitter, that was can't even get a win in your own spring game. And I just knew that that was going to be the first comment. So Jalen, Jalen, was... uh, Jalen Marys tweeted out. He said, uh, they, they, they really posted this thinking they weren't going to get clowned. Dude, yeah. It's like, it's yes, Clark. I get what you're doing internally for the team, but you knew where this was going to be. You, yeah. you knew. And, and, and you, I, I, wanna, I think I it get... probably hit him when he was walking to the locker room, what he had done. And at that point, <laughs> whatever, like it doesn't no, matter no, in no, the Clark grand scheme of things. He no, had Clark to have Lee, had a, he had a realization. No, he had to in the back of his mind <laughs> had to be like, ah, I don't know if that was the best idea. Like at the end, he was probably thinking, this is perfect. We can build on this. We're dead even. Let's see where we are next scrimmage and see if one or the other's improved. And then it hit him about five minutes later. A coach tapped him on the shoulder, social media person. And he went, oh, shit. And he was like, that was not the yeah, best they, optics there. But, should, you know, you live said, and you learn, you move on. Should have sent Mike Wright back out there for a two-point conversion or something. But nonetheless, Will, again, that doesn't matter. Uh, they're getting the clowning out right during the spring game. It doesn't matter. Um, it, it was kind of funny, though. But I, I've, got, I've got five things I want to hit on, Will. And I know that, that may seem like a lot. I know you've got a lot to hit on, too. But I want to get my five things out of the way uh, here. And I think you would agree with a lot of my sentiments. But, <laughs> but I'm going to start with Mike Wright. Mike Wright is the guy. I mean, my, all signs point to him being the leader in the clubhouse right now, and I think you agree. I think a lot of people agree from the way he leads the offense, from the impact he has on the field with his legs to the way Clark Lee talks about him. Whenever he's asked about the quarterbacks, he mentions Mike Wright's name first. So that, that's, that's kind of my first takeaway, Will. Mike Wright is the guy. That, that's where we stand right now. Now, again, things change. Ken Seals gets healthy. There's other things that happen, but right now, from, from my point of view, what I did watch in the spring game, I was only able to watch the second half, but from what I saw in the highlights and what I heard and what I saw on Twitter, Mike Wright's the guy. And I talked to people about it. I, I, I think Mike Wright's the guy. Number two, the second thing I'm going to touch on, Will, is the defense plays like a pack of hyenas led by Jalen Mahoney and Anthony Orji. Those two guys are the leaders of, of this defense, and it's obvious. The, the plays they made, Jalen Mahoney was coming up in the holes and, and, and you know, making, making some crushing blows to, to running backs. Anthony Orji, uh, I think, forced a fumble. Daniel Martin uh, picked it up. And so the, there, there were plays all over the field from other guys as well. But I think what I noticed, Will, was Mahoney and Orji are the two leaders of that defense, and they are two really damn good football players. Like, like the, the, Anthony Orji is – I mean, I think right now, Will, I think he might be a second-round pick. If he plays up to his potential this year, I'm not going to say first round, but he, he is going to get drafted, and I think it's going to be in the first three rounds. Now, again, injuries can happen. Other stuff happens. Maybe he doesn't play as well as he, wanted, as he wants to this season, but I think there's potential there for him to be a big-time linebacker prospect. So that's what I saw from Anthony Orji. The second quarterback that I noticed, Will, was A.J. Swan, and I'm not trying to hate on, on anything Ken Seals did. I thought Ken played pretty well. But A.J. Swan, Will, has the best arm Vandy has seen since Jay Cutler. The way that ball comes out of his hands is, is noticeable. It's eye-popping. Now, he, he's a freshman, so he's going to make freshman mistakes. 
but he has all the tools that Clark Lee wants in a quarterback. And there's going to be younger quarterbacks that come in, maybe Kenny Minchie. Of course, you got Reese Mooney, a guy that is already committed in the 23 class. So, But A.J. Swan, what I saw from him, Will, was very impressed. Of course, he made some mistakes. I think he threw an interception to Justin Harris. But the play he made on the deep ball to Logan Kyle was extremely impressive. It was called back for holding because, of course, it was. But he's the only quarterback that they have that could have made that play. And I believe that wholeheartedly. Again, Mike Wright, I think he could have been able to step up in the pocket, but he would have tucked it and ran. I don't know if any other quarterback could have made that play. So that's that's what I have on A.J. Swan. Next one, Will, Jade McGowan looks apart. He he seems to be the focal point of that offense because I think it, I, I, everything I'm reading, everything I'm watching, I think the offense revolves around him, Will. So Jade McGowan stood out. And lastly, the trenches are still weak per usual. I don't think that's something new to, to anybody, but the trenches are still the number one point of emphasis and they should be for Clark Lee and, and this staff. So those were kind of my five impressions. Will, you know, I, I really only got to focus in on the second half. I started watching the second half, uh, watched some of the highlights of the first half, but I know you were there in attendance and uh, you had kind of a, you know, a, a close up view to what the coaches are saying you know, how other fans and attendants are reacting, what you're seeing. So from your perspective in the seats, Will, what were your takeaways from, uh, from Saturday? I don't have a list numbered <laughs> beautifully like yours, but I can, I, I have it written down pretty much position by position. And so I'll start with Here we go. the, obviously the, the thing that most people were super excited about um, looking at the spring game uh, that was facetious. They were not is special teams, but that is the thing that is normally what, kills Vanderbilt uh, because they have a very small margin of error. I did not realize. I guess I just missed it. Big Leg Joe is back. He's and back. That is huge. He's back. Big Leg Joe is back, and that is huge. Punting. Wow. Wheatley was really bad. There's no other way to say it. He was awful. And, they, like, I, I think he would agree he was really bad. He also got his ass chewed out by a coach on a hold on like the was, holding was he, on, an, quick, on a field was, goal attempt. Was he the only punter? Well, no, or... there was also a guy and that is the name I'm looking for because okay. I, uh, Jared Elstein, uh, okay. I believe the he transfer, transferred yeah. in, but he hit a punt that I believe he's standing inside the 20 or 25 and it rolled all the way into the end zone and about 60 yards in the air and rolled. So definitely punting is going to be something to watch and keep an eye on our notes, but moving on to the things that, Actually, people probably are more interested in. I won't touch too much on the QBs because you pretty much hit everything mm -hmm. exactly. Like I was going to say it, is Mike Wright's going to trot out there week one unless there's something crazy that happens. He was clearly the best quarterback right now. And that's what it, it, right now with this team, he was light years ahead of anyone else as far as consistently being able to move this team up and down the field and what I think he'll actually be able to do against other defenses that aren't Vanderbilt's defense. Mike Wright, head and shoulders above anyone else. With that said, A.J. Swan is going to be the best quarterback on the roster, and he is the most talented quarterback right now. You could see that if you watched each of them make five throws in warm-ups, you would definitively come to the answer that A.J. Swan is the best quarterback on the roster. His release takes about half the time that Ken Seals does. His ball, it just has that extra zip on it, and he mm -hmm. puts it right on the money every time. And Mike Wright still is struggling with some of those passes that should be easy completions. And everybody is very 
Uh, this is the only thing I want to say about AJ Swan and the quarterbacks. Everybody's talking about the big throws that he made and putting it on a dime. But what most impressed me with AJ Swan was his quick decision making and putting the ball on the money on those five yard out routes, or for example, on that corner route that he threw to McGowan, beautiful, or, which was an incredible throw. That was the best throw of the day. And second was that little quick uh, whip route that Will Shepard ran to score the two-point conversion to tie it at the end of the game. That is exactly the example I'm talking about. I Vanderbilt didn't see that. Last. Yeah, so it, it, that little route right there is what he puts it on the money every time. Now, that's the talent. Why Mike Wright is the best quarterback is the interception that A.J. Swan threw. He should have seen him a mile away. There was no, there was no disguise. Justin it Harris, just, you're talking about. I mean, it was a great play by Justin Harris, but he threw it right to him on the corner right. He never saw him. He thought it was going to be there. And in high school, he probably would have gotten it over that guy, but not in college SEC. and not even against not even against Vanderbilt's defense in the SEC. That's all I have on the quarterbacks. AJ Swan. I, if I was Clark Lee, I would start AJ Swan day one and just build the offense around him and let him learn. I, I was going to ask what you. Going to do. I was going to ask you that, Will, because I started thinking as you're talking about AJ Swan, you talk about Mike Wright. What are the chances we see AJ Swan start a game this year? Now, of course, you know, say Mike Wright's healthy, say Ken Seals is healthy. Is there any possibility in that? I, I mean, no, because it's more than the talent, and it's more than who's the best quarterback. There is no doubt right now when I was watching that stadium and I'm not in the locker room, so this could be all for show. Mike Wright's the leader of the team. Without a doubt, he's the leader and face of that team. His energy is the team's energy. And that's from the opening moment that he takes off at a dead sprint down to the other end of the end zone. There's more to being quarterback than just having the best release and the most talented arm and the tightest spiral. Mike Wright has everything that you want in a quarterback. And he never even hesitated and never stepped down from that role when he was beaten out for the starting job week one. So I think everybody on that team respects Mike Wright. I think all the fans love Mike Wright, and he's going to be the starter week one. I would be shocked if anyone but Mike Wright rolls out there. I'm I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, moving moving to those because you said everything about Ken Seals, slow decision-making. Uh, the release is still yeah, I, I mean, the same. On, it's too slow. On, he played well. He fit the, the one good pass that he – the pass he hit uh, to Will Shepard that was a beautiful ball, fitted in a tight window down to like the two-yard line. The only thing is I said, that's a fantastic throw, beautiful throw. And, and that looked beautiful. If that was a game on Saturday, you'd be saying, wow, that is a pick against every single SEC defense, all 13 of them. That safety gets over there and intercepts that ball 10 out of 10 yeah, times. I, I don't, the I don't only wanna... SEC defense you complete that ball against is Vanderbilt. And that was – when I watched it back uh, where I'd recorded it, I even more firmly was definitively in that stance that, that yeah. safety should have gotten there. So – Ken Seal, I mean, I think he's right now the battle for really who is the backup is the question because yeah, I think I'd, that's really going to depend on where the season's at. Yeah, and I don't want to sit here and, 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 you know, throw Ken Seals out the window because, you know, of what we saw last season. You know, I, I you know, I, I just don't want to sit here and say, you know, I, I, I mean, I will sit here and say Mike Wright's the guy because I just did, but there's also part of me that says Mike Wright throws a couple picks who's going in Ken Seals is going in you know it was also it was also why I said that is the offense that they ran the whole game even with AJ Swan and Ken Seals it was a lot of read option faking out runs and that's not Ken Seals or AJ Swan's game so if your offense is built like that obviously you're building it it was so clear that the offense is built around Mike Wright 
it's it, there's nobody else that's going to be the starter. They would gut the whole offense right, right. before they would have anybody else roll out there. Yeah, no, I, I'm yeah. I, there's just still part of me that like, you know, I really do hate saying this, but kind of the vibe I'm getting is, you know, Mike Wright's the guy, and and you know, some people may disagree, but that's what that's what it feels like, Will, and I think you'd agree. And I think with Mike Wright's ability to run, there's a ton of potential with the read option game. And you've got Ramon Davis back there. You've got Pat Smith back there. You've got Mo Edwards back there. I mean, this could be. Rocco. Yeah, you got right. Yeah, Rocco Griffin. I mean, you know, you've got you've got real potential there with the run game. Now, Mike Wright's going to have to step up and make throws. You know, that that's going to be another part of the game that you know we'll see about his development there. But, you know, that's kind of where this offense is at right now. They're a running offense. I think that's what, you know, obviously they want to throw the ball. But, you know, I mean, the way it's going right now, that's where they're at, Will. So, and the that's, running backs, I know, I know you wanted to hit on them as well. Yeah, I have I've, I've quite a bit of other things. I didn't even want to take any time on the quarterbacks because you hit everything, really, <laughs> I wanted to say. But, yeah, Mike, it's not a debate. Mike Wright is yeah, QB1. Yeah. This is, yeah, it's not like people are saying it. Yeah, Watching no. that game, he is. Like, it, it's going to be, but moving on to running backs – Running backs are going to be the strength of this team. Rocco Griffin, I don't need to say, everybody knows it. Ramon Davis didn't even play. He's going to be RB1 likely. Pat Smith, change of pace, back speed. Rocco Griffin is was running the ball well at the end of last year. He's your third option, bigger body back. If Ramon gets tired, that's a hell of a third option. Offensive line, I don't think really that we learned anything because you don't know in the trenches really i'm not going to touch too much on that because you don't know who was it the offensive line played well or blocked well or the or is the defensive line for vanderbilt the weakness that i believe it is and that's because the offensive line had some success moving the ball running the football just like they did at the end of last season so i don't know which direction i'm leaning yet whether or not the offensive line is actually improving like they did at the end of last year or if this was just because of vanderbilt's defensive line but receivers it's been the talk of everything Jaden mcgowan was everything that that he was supposed to be going into this game everything that we had heard explosive playmakers route running his hands ability to go and get the ball at five foot eight was they impressive call him shake yeah, and as a guy that's supposed to be a senior in high school right now, that's impressive. Will Shepard is a freak. Will Shepard is gonna be the breakout guy. If they have a core, if Mike Wright's able to consistently get him the ball, like I said last year, I think Will Shepard took it a lot more as hate when I wanted Amir Abdurrahman and I wanted Cam Johnson. I wanted those guys to get the receptions. Not at all. This year, I want the damn ball being thrown to Will Shepard. And that had nothing to do last season with anything I thought of Will Shepard's potential or his game-breaking ability. It was just I thought the other guys were seniors. They'd done it before. You'd seen it done in big-time games that mattered, and you were choosing to throw to a guy that was younger, less experienced, had some drop issues. This year's the breakout season for him. And in this offense, I want to touch on the tight ends, what they were doing with the tight ends and Gavin Schoenwald and Ben Bresnahan. Mm -hmm. They were actually involving those guys, splitting them out wide a lot of the time as blockers on bubble screens. We didn't see that last year almost at all on those little quick bubble screens, getting the ball easily in the hands of playmakers and allowing your offensive line not to have to hold that protection. And the tight ends were heavily involved in the middle of the field. That is a complaint that we had all last season is that Vanderbilt never utilized the middle of the field. Those little drag routes, the mm -hmm. underneath stuff to the tight ends was never done. And you have the talented tight ends to do it. Gavin Schoenwald looked really good. Ben Bresnahan looked really good. They tried to set some stuff up for some other guys like Joel DeCourcy, Justin Ball. It didn't pan out as well, but tight end is going to be a strength. The, the offense has potential 
to take a really, really big step forward this year. They looked in control. I don't remember what player said it, but he said we are light years ahead of just Gavin. I think it was Gavin Schoenwald. Yeah, yeah. of just at this point in the season. And you could see it. They were crisp. There weren't the issues that you saw. And I think last year they just weren't able to install this offense the way they wanted to prior to the season beginning. And you had so much turnover and with the roster that that's really what happened. You're seeing finally kind of what they wanted. But overall, the offense, I I liked the concepts they were running. I liked everything they were doing. Mike Wright's the guy. The defense is the side, I think, that still has a lot more unanswered questions. I think you learned a lot more about how this offense is really going to shape out in the key guys than you did the defense. Uh, Man, that defensive line, that's the question. That is going to be the make or break for this team. And even after this game, they got some pass rush. I'm still concerned that the defensive line just isn't going to be able to stop anybody. And it's not going to matter what the secondary does. It's not really going to matter what the offense does because a majority of the teams they're going to play are just going to be able to run the ball up the gut and move them forward three to six yards every single time. They just don't have the bodies. Nate Clifton's going to have to step up. Christian James, Elijah McAllister's going to have to take on a completely different role and succeed with it. Ethan Barr's going to have to play incredibly well. Anthony Orgy's not going to be able to get hurt. He has a big arm brace. He's had injury issues. I know he's coming off of the the elbow issue that he had last season. If he gets hurt, this team's in for a world of trouble because right now the linebacking youth in Daniel Martin is going to be incredible. His closing speed, you could see it, but he's very skinny right now. He looks like a Zach Cunningham clone. There was one play in specific, and it was Mike right on the edge that Daniel Martin had an angle on Mike Wright. And he did what he did in his high school film and his four-star high school film. And he went to close that space. And man, he's fat. He is very fast for a linebacker, but he ran to close that space. And Mike Wright left him in the dust. He wasn't, he did. I think Daniel Martin was shocked. He actually fell down. Mike Wright didn't even make a move. Mike Wright just turned on an extra gear that Daniel Martin had never seen before and legitimately never seen before because this is his first real closest thing to live action. Mike Wright turned on a a gear on that play that you don't see in practice. And that was the SEC speed that Mike Wright has. I think they have guys on offense this year with that speed. McGowan, Smith, Wright, and you can uh, name off maybe a couple others, but Mm -hmm. really those three guys mainly. But defense, the secondary actually played really well. The main surprise, and I could butcher his name so please correct me if i'm wrong but steven 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 sanianiola he started he was out there with the ones as a freshman alongside jalen mahoney so that was the main guy talented that i that i did not expect to see as a true freshman out there was him because he wasn't one of the most highly touted guys he was a he was a three-star recruit but he was out there with those starting guys john house is going to be playing a lot more chris or cj taylor it's going to be playing a lot more. You're going to see Daniel Martin out there rotationally, but he looked like he looked like a talented senior in high school. That's that's what he looked like. He looked like he was playing against grown men. And he recovered the fumble. He has the talent to he's gonna make some plays. He might get an interception or force a fumble or get a sack. 
but he's not going to be able to play down in, down out because he's just going to get pushed around. He's too skinny. You see him next to Ethan Barr, and you see him next to Anthony Orgy, and my God, they have 40 pounds on him, 40, 50 pounds, and all of these guys on the offensive line, once they got their hands on him, he's just not going to be able to get mm-hmm. off those blocks. So he's got a lot of weight to put on, a lot of improvement to do, but you could see the potential out of him. Man, and Jalen Mahoney, you touched on it. Dude was everywhere. I'm very high on him this year. That yeah, is my defensive his... guy to watch. I had Will Shepard breakout was my breakout guy on offense because you can't say McGowan because he's a freshman, but breakout guy that was on the roster last season. And this year is going to be Mahoney on defense. The obvious one you want to say is Anthony Orgy is going to have a big season or Elijah McAllister shifting positions. Mahoney is going to draw attention and draw eyes onto him because the way he plays, the way he talks, and how he hits at that corner position just sets the tone for the entire defense. And last year, they didn't have that. They were popping helmets, popping pads in a way that wasn't the case last season in real live football games. They were hitting each other. Things were getting chippy and fiery between the two sides of the ball on the field, and that's what you want to see because these guys – I pray for Elon. That's my that's my <laughs> quote for the offseason because I said it to my dad and he said that he can't get his expectations up like that or for anything ever again. I said that most teams in Vanderbilt's past and Clark Lee's not a guy to run it up, but it's players. You can't tell them to stop playing the game. Is Vanderbilt is going to go out there and they should have never lost ETSU and ETSU is really good, but Elon is a much worse FC like ETSU is a national championship level team in FCS football. Elon is not. And Vanderbilt, this team, you could They're feel They're going to have it. a chip on their shoulder. They are going to want to come out and make a statement, be like, all right, we lost last year to ETSU. There's no coming back from that. That is what happened. You didn't just lose. You got your butt kicked by ETSU. Now we are going to come out and kick the ever-living shit out of Elon. And when it gets up 31-3 or 28-3 normally when the game ends at 38-10, to 10, I think that the second team and third team are going to pour it on and i don't think clark lee is going to stop them i don't think he's going to do anything to run it up but i would certainly not do anything to let these guys go so that's my Uh expectation and that's how i'm going into the season if it doesn't happen and they lose to an fcs opponent again billy I, I might have to be done. I'm, I, that's what I you said. That's what you said after ETSU, man. I'm not going to be done. I'll say it. But I'm not going to be done. But yeah, over overall, my takeaway: the one thing is positive, and you saw without a doubt this team was better than last season. They had legit talent, and these freshmen, from what I've seen, the freshmen and sophomores, which give credit to Derek Mason, a lot of these sophomores were guys that he initially got and Clark Lee maintained. So I don't want to forget that. When a lot of these guys start taking on bigger roles this year, Derek Mason and that stuff brought in these guys, and Clark Lee did a great job of keeping them in. So give credit where credit is due. But the talent in this freshman and sophomore classes, those two classes are different. They are That's not saying that older guys are – they're not – talented older guys within this They're program just different. but the but the run of the mill average guy that you grab out of the freshman and sophomore class is different than the median guy that you grab out of the of the junior senior and graduate guys it ju- you can see it and you can feel it you could see it in warm-ups and that's where it showed the most is i watched aj swan throw like three passes and i watched mike right that's Wright all and you need and i said that guy's gonna be if he can get the mental part down because that was never the concern with him. The reason he was not a five-star had nothing to do with his arm talent. It had everything to do with his decision-making. 
And that was the thing. I think it was his first or second drive that he threw that interception. That that is when I tweeted, "Yeah, Mike Wright is QB one." That like that throw is just a throw that it's not that you can't make it if you make it one out of every two hundred plays. Like you know, you can't do it that much. That's a throw that a Division one starting quarterback can never make. Like ever. Like not one time in any scrimmage, he should have looked at that. Looked at that throw. And within one second, just said, yep, not there. And just moved on and instead he threw it. And that showed he's a senior in high school. He's 18. He should be getting ready for his prom right now. Instead, he's playing and competing for the backup quarterback job at Vanderbilt. So A.J. Swan's got a big, a lot of room to grow. A lot of these young guys have a lot of room to grow. But the thing is, there's potential for growth and potential for this team getting better. You feel like they're stepping in the right direction. A little bit of positivity. The win total is probably not going to change. But at least you you will feel i promise this team is going to make some plays this season that it would not have made last year yeah. and that is all you can ask for same with the basketball program is are you in a better spot at this time this year than you were last year or two years ago and the answer to that is is without a doubt yes yeah and, and well i'll say this an underrated aspect of where this team and this program is at right now is what you just talked about the chip on their shoulder you know clark lee is a guy that they remember every game, every play, everything that happened last season. It was a 2-10 season. They remember the loss to ETSU. They remember the one-point loss to South Carolina that was demoralizing. They remember losing to Tennessee in Knoxville. And Clark Lee, he's, you know, he's just he's that kind of guy that that will I think will rally these guys. I'm not saying they're going to win four games or, you know, anything crazy like that. But the chip is going to be different. The, the chip is going to – I mean, you know, let's face yeah, it. No, like, I get what you're saying. 100%. Yeah. I agree. It's just funny to think. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny that's where we're at. But, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I think that's kind of an underrated aspect of the chip on this team's shoulder. So, um, yeah, that was a great recap, Will. You were there. Um, you know, I had honestly forgotten about it. I feel awful saying this. Like, Friday morning I woke up and I was like, holy crap, the, the spring game's tomorrow. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, my gosh. So – but yeah, that, that uh, you know we'll continue to kind of talk about that. But uh, but yeah, that that uh, that ended in a tie, thirty-two, thirty-two tie, and uh, you know Vanderbilt got ripped for it, but that's okay. And uh, you know got to get it out during the spring game. But well, let's close it out with a little bit of baseball here. I'm not sure how much of the the series against Florida you were able to watch. Uh, Vanderbilt beat <laughs> the Gators two out of three. Uh, Commodores are now twenty-five and ten. They're seven and eight in the SEC, third place behind Tennessee and Georgia in the East. And will they actually just beat up on uh, on your alma mater, Tennessee Tech? Final score seven nothing. Um, so I think that might be the only time you're kind of uh, uneasy about a Vanderbilt win, maybe. But uh, but Vanderbilt, Devin Futrell pitched really well again. Um, but well, I want to get to a little bit in college baseball. Like after this weekend, fifteen out of the top twenty-five teams lost their weekend series. Like. Every week, there is so much movement in the college baseball rankings. And, you know, you've got a poll that has Vanderbilt as the fifth-ranked team in the country. And Tennessee Tech actually used that poll. They tweeted out that they're playing the fifth-ranked Vander- Vandy boys tonight. I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, and the D1 baseball poll doesn't have Vanderbilt ranked. So, you know, that, that's kind of the poll that we go off of. But one college baseball season will, and I know you know this, unlike any other sport, can change with one swing of the bat. It is a it, it's I know it's a long, fluid season, but that's how these players are. That's how college baseball programs are. It takes one swing for, for one player to, to kind of bounce out of that slump. And, and, and Jack Bolger is there. 
Jeff Bolger, his performance this weekend, he, he's the MVP of the weekend. Um, I know, I know, you know, he, he hasn't been playing as well as he, as he has wanted to, but he had a walk-off single in the bottom of the ninth on Friday night. And then the game time, he had a game time two run Homer with two outs in the bottom of the ninth on Sunday. So, that that's that's kind of tells you about how quickly a lot of these guys can can change and get out of these slumps. Um, on Saturday, Vanderbilt had a four-run sixth inning to get back into the game. Well, I, I thought Thomas Schultz pitched great in relief. Nick Maldonado returned to the mound. He gave up a bomb, but but he kind of settled back in. So, you know, I think you know you see a performance like Jack Bolger. I think that can influence other guys like Carter Young, who has you know he's hitting around 250 right now, kind of struggling a little bit. Javier Vaz, Davis Diaz, some of those other guys are kind of starting to find their groove, find a little bit of a rhythm. And God forbid, we talked about this, Will. I, I know it's just one series win. They're going to have to go out and get a win in Lexington this weekend. But God forbid Vanderbilt starts playing like, like they should. You know, I mean, we, we, we talked about that, you know, three weeks ago after the Tennessee series loss. There's going to come a weekend, come a time where you feel like Vanderbilt starts to kind of turn the tide a little bit. And it feels like that's happening, Will. I mean, they're not in the top 25, but I think if they beat Kentucky this weekend, they'll be in the top 25. They're on the verge, I think, right now of, of hosting a regional. There's still a lot to happen. But I think the bottom line here is, Will, they're starting to find a little bit of a groove. And I know you didn't watch a ton of it. I watched a, you know, a decent amount of it. But the way this team is looking, Will, it does feel like they're, they don't have an identity yet right now. And I'm going to talk about that with Mike Rooney coming up here. But – you know, it's all about finding an identity, Will, and I think they're starting to get there. I, I, I think they're kind of slowly getting there right now, and it, they're going to have to keep it rolling this weekend, though, in Lexington. Yeah, you and Mike will definitely handle the baseball talk better than I will. I saw Jack Bolger homer. Uh, I checked box scores, checked stats, and the only part of the series I watched was after Jack Bolger homered and Vanderbilt lost. So that is uh, the fun part that I got to witness of the Stay baseball series. Stay away from series. the TV. <laughs> so uh, I think this episode may be like three hours, so I won't even give any information. I'll let your recap handle that since I talked for quite a quite a while about uh, the spring game. Hey, you you unloaded it on the spring game, and uh, Mike Rooney and I, great conversation. Well, I think, I think you'll enjoy it. I think Vandy fans will enjoy it. We talked about Vanderbilt, where they are this season, and Tim Corbin teams historically, we've talked about it, Will, how they usually seem to start playing their best baseball when it matters. And I talked about that with Mike and, and we even got into a little bit of college baseball and, and, you know, kind of the, the heat that it's picking up in the sport and uh, you know, the, the change with a lot of these, I mean, will college baseball is an old sport right now. Tim Corbin has talked about it and you mentioned it with Tennessee. I mean, you're seeing sixth, seventh, eighth year guys. It seems like, I mean, it, it's crazy, especially with, you know, COVID years, transfer portal and all that. So uh, college baseball, it continues to heat up. I'll talk about all of that coming right up. With I have Mike, to give one Mike, more thing. One more. Oh, one more. Not baseball, but I just saw it flash up on my alerts. Is you know Cam Johnson's in the transfer portal. Oh, did, did uh, he pick? No, but there has been an article nine hours ago from Sam Marsdale on who is out front for transfer target uh, Cam Johnson. Guess who that team is? Tennessee. No, it's Ole, Ole Miss, Ole, Ole Lane, Ole, okay. Ole Lane Kiffin. Okay. That would actually be an incredible I, fit for him. And I would. don't want to play against him, especially for Ole Miss, but as far as a guy that I think was criminally underutilized in his career and never really got a shot, mostly due to uh, idiotic coaching and <laughs> poor quarterback play, but I think that would be a huge change of pace to have somebody that 
actually knows how to utilize playmakers within an offense, I think that would be an unbelievable change for Cam Johnson. So I do, I, I hope he lands there and, and is able to put up some uh, video game numbers. Well, he deserves that. Like a yes. guy like Cam Johnson. He did it right. He did he, it right. He loves Vanderbilt. I mean, he yep. wanted to stay home and play for Vanderbilt. He, it didn't happen the way he wanted it to, but good for him. I, I think that's where he'll land, and I think it's a great spot too. I, I think for Cam Johnson, they don't play Ole Miss next year, do they? They, they play, play him every year. It, That's the SEC West rival. You play him every year. Okay. So Vanderbilt and Ole Miss, the Cam Johnson rematch. Uh, that'll be fun. That'll be fun to see see Mr. Cam Johnson being utilized in, in the right way. Well, that'll be kind of funny. Is that in Nashville? Do you know, Will? I wonder where that's uh, – I think it is in Nashville because it was yep. in Oxford last year. So yep. Cam Johnson's return to Nashville. That'll be a, a storyline. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, that does it, Will. Well, let's get to Mike Rooney. Let's talk a little baseball. Let's do it. I can't wait to see how long that episode was. But oh my god, let's <laughs> let's get to Mike Rooney from D1Baseball.com here on the Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Welcome back into the Door Report. I'm Billy Derrick, and I'm now happy to welcome in Mr. Mike Rooney, Runes from D1Baseball.com, joining the the Door Report here on a uh, beautiful Tuesday night. Vanderbilt is actually right now playing Tennessee Tech over at the Hawk right now, so. A little bit of a kind of a live episode during that one. But, Mike, thanks for taking the time. It's uh, are you guys you guys feeling a little too busy right now? Or are, you, are you loving it during during college baseball season right now? Yeah, this is amazing. This is my favorite time of year. And I didn't even it's just amazing how this season it just sneaks up on you and then it just goes so fast. And, let you know, for instance, we have five weeks left in the regular season like that. I, I realized that this Crazy. week and it blew me away, blew me away. Crazy. And so, yeah, so it's it's so fun. Um, I do need to put in PTO for my day job sooner than later, <laughs> but uh, yes, this is the best time of year. Love it. Love it. Love it. Mike, let, let's start with Vandy. They, they got a big series win this past weekend over Florida. And, you know, I think a lot of people were talking about a lot of Vanderbilt fans were talking about how, you know, they weren't in the D one baseball rankings and, and mm-hmm. there, there was some fuss about that, but uh, you know, there, I think there's three other three or four of the rankings that had, do have them in. So there was a little bit of a uh, little bit of debate there, but uh, why ultimately, um, you know, did, did you guys leave them out uh, of the rankings this week? And, and is that kind of a situation where you guys need a little bit more proof from them? Yeah, I think it's that it's, you know, th- this is, you know, Aaron and Kendall, Aaron Fit and Kendall Rogers, my buddies at D1 Baseball, they're much more rankings veterans than I am. But I mean, it was carnage, right? 15 of the 25 ranked teams lost their weekend series. So it was just a hot mess. And, you know, and if I'm doing the math right, Vandy, I think, had lost three straight series in the SEC. And, you know, one of those is the South Carolina, which is a club that is, you know, probably not a postseason team. Um, no harm in losing to Vandy and Auburn. You know, that, that, I guess you would consider that an upset I, I, or maybe you wouldn't. But but I think Vandy is really interesting because this is also a team with an 18 game winning streak on their resume. But if you look at it, they've really thrived against the teams that I would label as not postseason teams. And they, they don't really have marquee wins yet. I think that's the biggest thing. Even for Vandy, you look at the seven and eight record in SEC play. It's hard to rank in any of the power leagues. It's hard to rank a team that's under 500 in their own league. So I think for Vandy, it's more, hey, and there's a lot of teams like this, by the way, Billy. Hey, show us one more week. Put one more week together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of there are fans that understood it, but I, I know there are a few outliers there. Uh, but Mike, I, I agree with you in the fact that you know, Vanderbilt after the third straight series loss, you look at them and you say, 
you know, where's the quality series win? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you lost a series to Oklahoma State. Of course, you beat Hawaii. And you beat some other non-conference teams, but they really didn't have it. I think that's a great point that some Vanderbilt fans forget. Uh, but say, you know, say they sweep Florida. And, you know, is, is a sweep that, um, you know, that influential in the rankings? I know Fitzy and, and Kendall are the guys that kind of deal with that a little bit more. But uh, for baseball, obviously, it's different than football. I was listening to Kendall talking about the podcast. It's way different than football. There's 12 games in a football season. Baseball, obviously, is a lot longer and three-game series. So for you, does a sweep make that much of an impact? Or is it kind of, hey, do it in Lexington? You know, do, do it again one more time. Yeah, I think it's a great point, Blake. I think it's a sweep makes a big difference for Vandy because of this it's one more SEC win. Because if you look at Vandy's RPI, I think it's like 12 right now. I mean, they're tracking to be a host. I don't, I don't see a road for them to be a top eight national seed unless they just get crazy hot in SEC play. But they are tracking to be a host. And there are not a lot of great host resumes. So I think that's where getting, you know, hey, any SEC win, I think Vandy with 17 SEC wins, which by the way, means they got to go, um, I don't know, what is that, 10 and 5 to finish. I mean, 10 and 5 is not an easy trip in the SEC. But, you know, 16 and 14 is kind of bubbleish host. So I, I just think right, we're at this weird place in the SEC where Tennessee's on their own planet. Arkansas seems to be kind of like, you know, the next closest thing, but not even close to that universe. And then everybody else is just kind of in a food fight. And any win helps Vandy separate themselves. And if they want to be a host, which is a huge advantage, you know, that, I, I think sweeps would be would be important. Mike, you've got experience coaching college baseball. Let's put our listeners inside the shoes of a coach inside the dugout of a college baseball team. When you lose maybe the best one-two punch in the history of college baseball with Rocker and Leiter, how tough is that for a team to replace two guys like that, especially in your pitching staff? It might have been different if there was two offensive guys in the lineup. You know, you're able to kind of replace that maybe a little bit easier offensively, but pitching is is the leader. I mean, pitching yeah. run, runs the show. So how tough is that for, for a team, especially like Vanderbilt? You know, they, they were, you know, able to bounce back, I think, well enough. We'll see how they do the rest of the season. But how tough is that from, from a perspective of, of Tim Corbin? Yeah, I I think there's two parts to it. The first of all is the statistical significance. Second of all is the vibe, you know, to use the kids term, right? Like, let's talk about the stats. I mean, you're losing whatever, 250 innings, two kids that are first round picks. I mean, just, you know, no one's replacing that. There's no way to replace that. But I think more importantly, Billy, like, hey, you lose three straight series. That's where the Kumar Rockers and the Jack Lighters can kind of gather the team and just be like, hey, guys, we're totally cool. We got this. Um, you know, the, the offense can relax. You know, Vandy's offense has been not inspiring for most of the year. And, and last year it was fine because, hey, Kumar's pitching and Jack Lighters pitching. If you can get to four, you're winning that game nine mm-hmm. out of ten times. This year it's it's not as certain as that. So. I, I, I think Vandy's got plenty of the, the raw materials, but it just, I, I just don't feel like this team has found their identity. They, they haven't really found their mojo. Um, and, and, you know, like now is the time to do it, but it's certainly not a lack of talent. 
no, no doubt about it. And, you know, you, you know, Tim Corbin, and this program, well, uh, just like you do many other programs, Tim Corbin teams historically play their best baseball when it matters. And, and you know, you, of course, uh, 2018, that team that advanced uh, to the supers and, and lost a tough one in Mississippi state, they went to Clemson and, and beat a Clemson team. That was a, a top, you know, a top 16 seed. They were hosting the regional. So what's the potential for this team? I know you talked about how not, they, you know, they haven't really found their identity. Uh, of course, there's been Vanderbilt teams that have, you know, kind of right in that regional time. So in terms of the potential of, of this team as a whole, where do you see this? Do you, do you see it a super regional team? Do you see this, this team as an Omaha team? Where, where do you see their potential? Yeah, I see them as a team you don't want showing up to your regional. I'll say that, right? Like, it's just, you look at some of the names, Billy, and it's like, hey, here, here are some names of players for Vandy that aren't even hitting 300. Two, you know, Jack Bolger, Enrique Bradfield, Tate Colwick, Davis Diaz, Carter Young, Javier Vaz, you know, it's, or Vaz, you know, it's, so like, the, there's name brand dudes there. And then there's plenty of arm talent. So, you know, you asked, what's the upside? The upside is Omaha. It really is. I mean, this is a preseason top 10 ranked team because of there's so much talent on this roster. Now, they haven't played like that yet. I, I haven't seen them play like an Omaha team against another team that I would consider of super regional caliber. But can, you know, what you said a minute ago, the, you know, Vandy's, you know, Tim Corbin's teams just keep getting better. And can the, hey, you got to win five games to get to Omaha, right? Can, can Vandy get hot for five games at the end of the year? And I, I liked your analogy about 2017, 2018. I mean, I think that's spot on. That's what this feels like a little bit, like a team that maybe underachieved a little bit in the regular season. And again, we're, I'm being really hard on them, right? They're 25 and 10. But, you know, I, I do think the point that we made earlier matters. Like, the teams they're going to play in a regional final and a super regional, they don't have a series win against a team like that yet. I know they can do it, but they haven't shown us that yet. Let's go to the SEC here, Mike, and let's start with Tennessee. Have you seen anything like this team this season and what they've been what they've been doing? The Ever? last time we've we've seen anything like this, it was Oregon State 2017 when Oregon State showed up in Omaha 54 and four. I mean, think about how ludicrous that is <laughs> to show up to Omaha 54 and four. But Tennessee is absolutely tracking that way. And I would tell you that, the, you know, when you think about that Oregon State team, they had four first round picks in their lineup, four of them. And that doesn't include Stephen Kwan or who's in the big leagues or KJ Harrison, who's another elite player. They don't have the rotation, though. I don't think Tennessee's position player group is as good as that Oregon State group. Not far behind, but they do not have Vandy's rotation. Or, I mean, uh, Tennessee's rotation. The four dudes that Tennessee's rolling out there, you know, Chase Dolander, Drew Beam, uh, you know, Chase Burns, Blake, you know, Blade Tidwell is just sitting on the side. Now he'll probably get his chance. I mean, that's insane. We've never seen a rotation like that. So they're, they're, they're so good. They're like Miami football from the 1980s with the edge they play with. But I'll tell you, the thing that's underrated about Tennessee is they really have a good they, – they, they know what winning baseball looks like. They get themselves wound up and out of control at times, but they really know what winning baseball looks like. Let's go to the, the rest of the SEC, Mike, and you talked about it. It feels like Tennessee, kind of that, that tier of their own. Arkansas, maybe their tier of their own. Below that, you got Georgia, and then it feels like everybody else. Everybody else is fighting for a piece of the pie in the SEC – you know, with the way these teams are playing and kind of the depth from some of these teams, I mean, there's new teams out there like Auburn um, and, you know, A&M's playing a little bit better this year. Mississippi State and Ole Miss are surprisingly down, down. So it's been an interesting year in the SEC. How do you see the rest of the pecking order kind of shaking out here? Of course, a lot can happen, but, uh, you know, how do you see this pecking order shaking out in the SEC? 
Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It's I don't I can't remember the last time we've seen a year like this in the Southeastern Conference. And, you know, like we, we were talking of this week, uh, Kendall and Aaron and I were talking about Old Miss and Mississippi State and they play this week. And, you know, these are preseason top five teams. I mean, the truth is, Billy, whoever loses the Old Miss Mississippi State series this weekend, their season's probably over. Like they're not making the postseason. And, uh, you know, I, and, and that's a bold statement. Maybe they are, but it doesn't feel like it. And so I, these next five weeks in the SEC are going to be fascinating because there's so many teams that their resumes are so bubblicious right now. And, you know, it, it, hey, if you don't get to 14 and 16, you better have one heck of an RPI. And a bunch of these teams don't have that kind of RPI. So it's going to be fascinating down the stretch. Boy, the fight to the death, uh, Ole Miss, Mississippi yeah. State. It's going, to be, it's going to be fun this weekend. And, and speaking of another big SEC series, big weekend in the SEC, you got Arkansas, um, you know, Arkansas and Ole Miss. And, and, you know, you said Ole Miss, Mississippi State. I guess, is the Arkansas-Ole Miss series next weekend, Runes? I think it's, it's a week from this okay, week, if okay, I'm not so mistaken. Ne- okay, so next weekend, uh, their Sunday game, game three is going to be on ESPN. I can't remember the last time a regular season college baseball game was on ESPN. Will and I, my co-hosts, have talked a lot about this and kind of the heat that college baseball is on right now feels like it's higher than ever so runes i know you would be in favor of this i know fitzy and kendall would as well what do you think about a weekly college baseball showcase game on espn whether it's on a saturday night another competing with the nba and other sports but is that possible and do you think college baseball can get to that point where whether it's mlb network or espn and, and they're really showcasing all this talent especially this season that that's in college baseball Yeah, I mean, I think like a weekly showcase game the whole season is probably not feasible because of basketball and Mm -hmm. because of the weather. But now we get to April and you think about the I think about the Big 12 in particular and the SEC where you have these big crowds, some uh, ACC venues where, hey, like, you know, Ole Miss, Arkansas, ESPN gets to to show a game with 12,000 maniacs there having a great time. And, you know, future big league players, that feels like a no brainer. The other thing. You know, we, we hey, remember ESPN's owned by Disney. So someday could we possibly have the College World Series finals on ABC, not even ESPN? Mm-hmm. The one strike against us is pace of play. You know, ABC has no interest in three and a half hour games. But with all the new technology, pitch com and everything that's happening, I don't know if the pace of play keeps shrinking. Um, can we get, you know, our average game under three hours? I don't know. Maybe, maybe we can, maybe we can't. But yeah, I, I think I will tell you this, Billy, ESPN um, is really passionate about college baseball. They feel like they, they have an ownership stake in it. Um, Omaha is when you talk to people that work at ESPN, Omaha is one of the most cherished assignments across all sports, which is really, really cool. So, yeah, it, it's it's um, I guess not necessarily surprising, except for ESPN, you know, kind of has that that wow factor, but really a cool opportunity. No doubt about it. And, 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 you know, you've got programs like like a Tennessee, you know, like like a Notre Dame and, and, you know, big fan bases, uh, other teams that I haven't mentioned that, you know, they support football, they support basketball. They got a winning program. They're going to support baseball as well. You know, and and that, I think, is helping them uh, in, in itself. But this year in college baseball, Mike, a lot of offense. A lot of older yes. players. It feels like a double A type of minor league talent, you know, level. Of course, obviously, it'll never get to that level. 
But, the, I mean, the excitement around the game, of, of course, too. How would you describe the overall state of college baseball? Do, you know, of course, we're in the present time. There has been, I'm sure there's been seasons like this. But, you know, from, from a whole, the state of college baseball, how would you describe it to maybe somebody who doesn't watch a whole lot of college baseball? Yeah, I would say the state of the game is very, very healthy. I mean, the overarching theme I'd share is, hey, Major League Baseball is sending very loud messages that, hey, we have this incredible feeder system in college baseball where we've got some of the best baseball coaches in our sport that are in college. We've got incredible facilities. We've got these great crowds. Um, we're going to stop competing with that feeder system, and we're going to start embracing that feeder system. Smaller draft, less minor league teams, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the health of the game is tremendous. Um, better players are coming to college. It's better for the, the sport overall. But, I, you know, I, we do have a scholarship problem, and maybe NIL can help that, but we can only support Major League Baseball if the scholarship part increases. Otherwise, the best athletes are going to keep picking football and basketball. And no offense to football and basketball, but kids should pick it because that's the sport they love more, not because that's a sport that can pay, you know, do a better job paying for their college education. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, the influx of talent and, and, you know, it does feel like to an extent, especially at programs like Vanderbilt, LSU, Mississippi State, the big time programs are now starting to get more of those first round talents, those second round mm -hmm. talents, those high round talents. Vanderbilt is, an, is in an interesting situation. You got guys like uh, Drew Jones, um, you got the talented kid Lesko, who, who could potentially wear the black and gold next season, but they've got five guys that could go in the first round next year. LSU does the, you know, kind of the same type of number as well. So is it changing in that aspect, Mike, of, of, of maybe, hey, with the NIL and Tim Corbin at Vanderbilt and some of the many of these other coaches, do you think they might be able to get some more of these guys or ha has it not quite changed that much? Because Vanderbilt, if they pull off three of the five of those guys, that would be something big, you know, if they pull yeah. off two of them, you know, so do you think it is changing in that aspect? Yeah, I think absolutely. I, maybe changings, I would do use a different word, Billy. Like, I think for Vanderbilt, they're just so much track record, right? And it, it really just depends on the family. Like, if it's a family of a first-round pick, and they just feel like, hey, we're ready for professional baseball from a maturity standpoint, and we want that payday, you really can't sell that family on college because they just feel like they're ready for the next step. But for other families that are a little bit more open-minded to the information, the statistics are, you know, overwhelmingly in favor of going to college you know first round picks out of high school versus first round picks out of college you know the college kids make it to the big leagues and stay longer by you know over double the, the number so you know I, I think the families that are open to hey going to my dream is to be a big leaguer and it's not about the payday today it's about what's my best path to the big leagues you know Vanderbilt's got I mean, Tim Corbin could keep that family in his office for seven hours talking about, well, let's talk about Sonny Gray. Let's talk about, you know, Dansby Swanson. Let's talk about, you, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's so much track record for Vandy of the, you know, Walker Bueller and on and on and on. So I think it's really about the family, but Vandy's got such a unique value proposition. You know, world-class education, you, you know, they're, they're pumping out big leaguers left and right, play in the, you know, the best conference in the country, play almost all, you know, literally every game on TV. I mean, what's not to like about that? No, no doubt about it. And I got to ask you one more here, Mike, and, and the atmospheres in college baseball, you know, they've always been great, especially in the SEC. You got Ole Miss, Mississippi State, so many great atmospheres. Tennessee, of course, is going to have probably a 10,000, 12,000 seat stadium in here in the next couple of years. So, but I want to talk about Vanderbilt and, and their kind of special niche in Nashville. Obviously a great place to watch a game. I asked Fitzy this, 
you know, for Vanderbilt, obviously they are so landlocked with, with everything. They got the football stadium right there. In terms of a, a student section, of course, there's 3,700 capacity there. What is that possible, you know, or is Vanderbilt just, you know, they're Vanderbilt. They're not going to get a ton of students at the games. But I mean, Mike, you're looking at programs at Ole Miss and, and Mississippi State, Tennessee. They've got I mean, they, they've got I don't know, you know, 4000 students, 5000 students at some of those games. It, it's incredible. So for Vanderbilt, what what are some of the things you think they can do? Like if you were Corbin or if you were part of the administration saying, hey, Let's bring some students. Let's let's try to squeeze in as much excitement and kind of rowdiness into the stadium because, you know, they deserve it. I mean, Vanderbilt, the, yeah. the players deserve it. A, a lot of times Hawkins Field is kind of compared to, you know, kind of what a Cameron Indoor at Duke is, kind of that smaller venue where you may not get as much rowdies, but, but you're, you're seeing great baseball. Yeah. So yep. in terms of that, it, it, it put yourself in Corbin's shoes. There's something he can do and, you know, maybe some of the some, someone in the administration's role that they, they can maybe get something done there. Well, you know, Corbs, Billy, like if there was a way to solve it, he's not going to miss it, right? This guy misses nothing. But I would say that, you know, when you look at college baseball, the model that works is minor league baseball, meaning you turn your game into a social event where the game is the extra. You know, like the people know they're coming knowing they're going to have fun. And then if the game's great, that's great. And, and you know, college baseball's got a little advantage over minor league baseball where you will get to know the players. So the problem for Vandy is that, you know, Nashville's got a lot to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's the same problem in LA and those types of places. But I would say like, if I was Corbs, the model I'd be thinking about would probably be like the Chicago Cubs. I mean, clearly there's plenty to do in Chicago. It's in the city and you know, it, it's not going to be the biggest stadium and it shouldn't be the biggest stadium. So how do you just create a lot of niches and neat things uh, in, in that regard? Now, you know, Nashville's not as big as Chicago and a college team's never going to be the Cubs, mm-hmm. but that's, that would be the model that in my mind, I think Vandy is best served with a smaller stadium. They're never going to have what the Mississippi schools have because the city of Nashville is so different, but I think they can have a great atmosphere and when they get to the postseason and they're hosting, it can be a real advantage. But I think you do have to think out of the box. I don't know what that is. Is it day games? Is it certain sections? How do you make it fun? But certainly it's a great product. There's no question about that. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and uh, you know, apparently there are renovations coming soon. So we'll check back with your rooms yeah. in the stadium. You might be right about a lot of that. But, uh, again, Mike, thanks for taking the time. Enjoy the rest of your coverage. And uh, thanks, as always, for, for taking the time. You got it, Billy. It was a pleasure.